So Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we look at that passage together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we come to it now, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice as your spirit works amongst us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, just two weeks today, the moment that no doubt you've all been waiting for will have finally arrived. And I'm not talking about the, the Grace Church Leith Presbytery oversight visit. Uh, at 4 p.m. on Sunday the 20th of November, the FIFA World Cup officially begins. Uh, there's another World Cup going on right now. Um, I think it involves cricket um, or something. I, I think this is about the only time in uh, Grace Church Leith history where Andrew Duckerin has not been in a minority of one when it comes to those who pay a passing interest to cricket. Of course, a World Cup, whether it's football or cricket, is the pinnacle of any sport. Every single player who steps out onto the pitch will have put in hours and hours of training over years to enable them to perform at the highest level when the eyes of the world are upon them and the hopes of a nation are on their shoulders. It's a lot of pressure. Whether it's in sport or in work, the training we receive is a key component for us to handle pressure, to keep going when things are tough. And it's a bit like that when it comes to Christian life and ministry. Over the past few months, we've been in Paul's second letter to Timothy, and we've seen that this letter is all about keeping on going when the pressure is on. It's a letter written by one suffering church leader to another. Paul was writing from the depths of a, a Roman dungeon, imprisoned for his faith, and he was writing to Timothy, who was facing all sorts of pressure, both from inside and outside the church. And throughout this letter, we've seen Paul encourage Timothy to keep going, to not give up, to endure suffering, relying on the power of God to sustain him whatever trials he faced. Uh, last week, we saw Paul spur Timothy on by encouraging him to remember Paul's own ministry, how, how Paul had faced all manner of persecution and suffering, and yet God had repeatedly delivered him. And we saw Paul's warning in verse 12 of chapter 3 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those who are faithful to Jesus will face pressure. And in the passage we're looking at today, we see that the way that Timothy is to handle that pressure is by continuing to put his confidence in what he's learned. If you look with me at verse 14, Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, throughout this chapter of the letter, we have seen Paul contrast his ministry with those who had been teaching a false message in Ephesus where Timothy was serving. In the first part of chapter 3, we were given a, a damning description of the false teachers who had used underhanded methods to communicate a message that was terribly damaging for those who believed it. At the end of verse 13, Paul, he doesn't hold back. He describes them as evil people and imposters who will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those are strong words, aren't they? But Paul knew how serious it was for people to believe a message about God that wasn't true. These guys had presented themselves as Christian teachers. But Paul describes them in this letter as having swerved from the truth. These guys, they were ashamed of Paul and the situation that he found himself in, stuck in prison for his faith. His situation didn't jive with the message that, that they were peddling. You see, they'd got rid of all the bits uh, that were hard to hear. The bits about persecution and suffering for their faith. And instead, they were telling people what they wanted to hear. That the Christian should expect all the benefits of the resurrection right now. Things like prosperity and an end to hardship. But by changing the message to make it more palatable to their culture, Paul accuses them of doing something that was evil. They were deceiving their listeners into believing something that might lead to a comfortable life in the short term, but would ultimately leave them separated from God for eternity. In fact, these false teachers, they'd got so caught up in their teaching that they were even deceiving themselves. They'd become convinced of their own lies. But as Timothy looked on and he saw the popularity that these guys were enjoying and the warm response they were receiving while he experienced hostility, the temptation to join in with them, it must have been huge. And so Paul urges him in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. It's as if Paul was saying, don't be like them, Timothy. Don't swerve from the truth for an easy life. Don't teach lies that you end up believing yourself. Now, to, to speak about truth and lies when it comes to God, it's not really the done thing today, is it? A popular mantra today would be that, that there is no such thing as absolute truth which of course presents a bit of a problem right away because that statement is an absolute in itself. But for many in our culture today, the highest authority for what is true is not some absolutes, it's our feelings. Our feelings have become the ultimate authority of what is true and what is false. And when it comes to God, the culturally acceptable position is to believe that all belief is equally valid. That if it makes me feel good, if it works for me, then that's all that matters. 
And the reason that that is such a popular view, one of the reasons that that is such a popular view today is because on the surface of it, it avoids causing any offense, any disagreement. We just affirm one another's sincerely held beliefs and we carry on. The problem with it is that when you look below the surface, it just doesn't work. And that's because if you take even just a handful of the, the major world religions, they all believe radically different things about the nature of God and the way that we are to relate to him. At the heart of the Christian faith is Jesus' claim to be God incarnate. That while he was on earth, Jesus told his followers that he was God. That the only way to experience eternal life was to put their faith in him. And Christians are people who believe that. Who orientate their lives around Jesus' divine claim. Other religions would reject that claim. They might say that Jesus was a prophet. Or they might say that he was lying. In fact, he was crucified on the charge of blasphemy. In other words, the reason that the Jewish leaders wanted him dead was because of his claim to be God. And they couldn't tolerate that. They completely rejected that claim. So when it comes to the identity of Jesus, you have a very obvious difference of opinion amongst world religions. And that means either that everybody's wrong or one of us is right and the others are wrong. One thing we can't be is all right. It's a basic rule of logic that something can't both be true and untrue at the same time. No matter how sincerely we believe, somebody is wrong when it comes to Jesus. So whatever your beliefs about Jesus, it doesn't take much to see that a widely held view in our culture that all religions are equally valid, it just makes no logical sense it quickly collapses when you look below the surface. It's a current example of the kind of deceptive teaching Paul warns against here in this letter. Instead, Paul urges Timothy to continue in what he's learned and firmly believed. Timothy could look back on times where his faith had been firm. He'd heard the message of the gospel, he'd, the message of who Jesus is and, and what he's done, and he had taken it to heart. And Paul urges him to remember that and continue in it. You know, sometimes as Christians, our faith will waver. And maybe sometimes we need to look back and we need to remember why it is we believe what we believe. But it's also helpful to remember that when it comes to faith, it's not so much the strength of our faith, but who our faith is in that ultimately matters. Now, let me give you an example. Um, suppose I believed that a, a, a piece of thread could take my weight, and I sincerely believed that. And I wrapped that thread around a tree trunk, and then I wrapped it around my waist, and I proceeded to abseil down a high cliff. That's unlikely to end very well for me. See, no matter the strength of my faith, that thread isn't going to hold my weight. But if I had the correct equipment and a thick rope that was designed to take heavy loads, then even if I was full of doubt at the top of that cliff, that rope would keep me safe. 
It's not the strength of our faith. It's where we place our faith that matters. And in the rest of this passage, we see Paul remind Timothy why he can have confidence that where he's placed his faith is sure and certain. And I want us to notice three things that Paul highlights. First of all, Paul reminds Timothy of who it was that taught him. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, Paul may have been referring to himself. He'd certainly mentored Timothy as a young man. Uh, We've already seen how they served together in ministry. But that reference to Timothy's childhood in verse 15, it reminds us of what Paul said back at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 5. And there he talks about the key role that, that Timothy's mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, had played in the early days of his faith. How they had taught him the sacred writings. Uh, That's no doubt a reference not just to the Old Testament scriptures, but, but also to the accounts of Jesus' life that would have been available to them in the early days of the church. The point is that there were multiple Christians who taught Timothy from a young age. People who he could go to with his doubts and his questions. Role models that he could look up to and learn from. Those who had gone before him and remained faithful to Jesus throughout the good times and through the bad. You know, today's a very appropriate day for us to be thinking about this. As we baptized Iris, the vows weren't limited to Andrew and Laura. As a congregation, we made a vow to support Andrew and Laura as they nurture Iris in the Christian faith. What did it mean for us to take that vow? Well, at the very least, we should be committed to praying for Andrew and Laura and all the parents in our church as they look to raise their children in the faith. For some of us, there will be a specific role in teaching Iris in the organized children's and youth work that goes on in the church. But in a wider sense, it's not just the the Sunday club leaders making that vow, it's all of us. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could say to Iris as she grows, you know your church family. You know the interest that they take in your life. The way that they pray for you. The way that they encourage you. You know the example that they are to you of what it looks like to live the Christian life. So continue following Jesus because you've seen them do it too. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was something that we could say to all the children of our church? It's not just the parents' responsibility to raise their children in the faith. We all have a part to play in investing in the next generation and pointing them to Jesus. So Timothy could continue with confidence because of those who had taught him. He could look at their faithful lives and he could see how how God had sustained them and he could be confident that God would strengthen him to continue as well. Secondly, he could continue confident in the message that he'd been taught. In verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy that, that these sacred writings he'd learned are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In contrast to the false teacher's message that, that deceived people, the scriptures that Timothy had been taught made him wise. Now, 
it would be fair to say that the Bible is full of practical wisdom for life. There's plenty in here that anyone could take on board and apply it helpfully to their lives, whether they're a Christian or not. How much heartache and suffering would we be spared if people took even the second half of the Ten Commandments seriously? Imagine a world without murder or lying or stealing or adultery. There are many principles that our society runs by that have a biblical foundation. The Bible is full of practical wisdom, but the wisdom that Paul is specifically talking about here is the wisdom that leads to salvation. In other words, in the Bible, we have the key that unlocks the door to eternal life. It's in the Bible that we learn about the person and work of Jesus Christ, how he entered into our world And despite living a completely sinless life, he chose to go to his death on a cross to bear the punishment that sinful people deserve. And then he rose to life again, defeating death so that anyone who puts their trust in him can know forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus is at the heart of the Bible's message. It all points to him. All the Old Testament promises, they find their fulfillment in him. Scriptures written thousands of years before Jesus ever walked the earth make sense in the light of his saving work. And it's the testimony of countless people down the ages and across the world that they have experienced a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ in the pages of this book. It's the testimony of many people who are here today that God met them with his saving love when they opened up this book. These scriptures made them wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. But how is that even possible? You know, maybe we can all think of books that we have read that have inspired us or challenged us or shaped us in some way. But how can one book have such a profound impact on so many people over such a long period of time to the point that today, more than 2.2 billion people on our planet would call themselves followers of Jesus, more than any other point in human history. Well, because of the third reason that Timothy can continue with confidence, and that's because verse 16, the Bible is no ordinary book. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Timothy could continue with confidence in the knowledge that the message he had to share, it wasn't just one message alongside all the others in the marketplace of ideas. It wasn't some ancient writer's speculation on the nature of the universe that could be pulled apart in five minutes. No, the message he had to share, the message that he believed, it was a message that was full of supernatural power. And that's because all Scripture is breathed out by God. What he had in his hands was authored by God himself. Now, of course, it would be true to say that the Bible was written over many hundreds of years by many different human authors writing in many different styles. But it's the clear testimony of Scripture that over all of that process was God speaking into human authors, inspiring them to write down exactly what he wanted them to write down. 
Peter writes about that in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The reason that something written by so many authors over such a long period of time can still have one coherent overarching message that points to Jesus is because of who the ultimate author is. And the reason that people still encounter God in the pages of this book today is because God speaks to us through it. That's why we often refer to the Bible as God's Word. Because God makes himself known to us. He, he works through his word by his spirit, opening our eyes to see him, enabling us to encounter him as we read it. And it's that supernatural power that meant that Timothy could continue with confidence. You see, in football, training is important. But when the pressure mounts, it will only get a player so far. Even some of the most talented players in the world may get to a point in the next few weeks where the pressure all just gets a bit too much. And despite all their training, even the simplest skills can elude them. Normally happens to England around the semi-final stage, which has a bitter Scotsman who's not going to be supporting his team there, um, banking on that. Uh, but it's in those moments when the pressure is at its most intense, that a player needs to find something within themselves to keep going. Some degree of resilience that they have built up over years of a career. But in Timothy's case, it wasn't about relying on his own resources. He could keep going with confidence, not just because of all that he'd been taught since his childhood, not just because his head was, was full of knowledge of the scriptures that enabled him to live wisely. No, he could keep going because as he continued teaching God's word, he could be sure that God's voice would be heard. God would speak through his word, by his spirit, transforming lives as people encountered Jesus. And Timothy's job... And every minister's job ever since is just to keep getting up week by week, opening up the Bible and trusting God to speak as his word is faithfully taught. That whatever pressure, whatever opposition, whatever hostility he might have faced, Timothy could know that the eternal God of the universe would speak through his word as it was opened. And his purposes would be accomplished that as Paul says in verse 16, God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God has told us in his word what is good for us, what will be profitable, what will enable us to flourish as he intended. It's the same word that we can have confidence in today, that as we open it, we can hear God's voice. And as he speaks to us, by his spirit, he brings people to know his saving love in Jesus Christ. In his tender mercy, he tells us of the good news that makes us wise for salvation. That God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have 
eternal life. And as Timothy, and as we place our confidence in God's truth, then we can be sure that we will have everything that we need to be equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you that your word makes us wise for salvation. And we thank you for the message of our Savior Jesus, who came into this world and went to his death on a cross to pay the price for anyone who would trust in him. We pray that we would be able to continue with confidence as we take uh, confidence in your word, as we see it worked out in our lives, as we see your truth take root and shape us and enable us to live for you. And we pray that by your spirit, you would strengthen us and reveal to us more of who you are and, and what you've done, that we might grow and that you would strengthen us, not just individually, but as a church community as well. And we pray that as we come to this table now and remember the salvation that Christ has won, that you would strengthen our faith as we remember that too. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.